Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Kings, the 17th chapter, verses 1 to 6. First Kings 17, 1 through 16. I apologize. 1 through 16. Now Elijah the Tishbite and Tishbe of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives, behold whom I stand, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years, except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here. And turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook of Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook of Kareth, that is east of Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. The word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water and a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing to bake, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering up a couple sticks that I might go and prepare it for myself and for my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. This is the word of the Lord. When does a godly man pray for a drought? We saw Elijah actually pray that God would send a drought. He looked at scripture and understood what God had promised, his covenant promises that if Israel forsook him, a godly man prayed for a drought. The next week, we looked at when does God hide his word? We think about God sending forth his word. Sometimes he hides his word from a people who have given it no mind, no attention, who have ridiculed it, who have spurned it. He takes it away. This morning, another intriguing question. I said at the beginning of this series that I think you'll come to understand why I'm preaching this series right now. It has to do with where we are in our culture, where we are today in the United States. Uh, it's a fearsome time. And the question before the house this morning from this study in Elijah, what happens when you're living in the land God is judging? 
before we come to that question, let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that we're able to meet again together. Even under these different requirements where we're trying to keep each other safe, we thank you that we can gather in one room as your church. Our Father, we pray for each other this morning as priests. We take your word out into the world everywhere we go. The Holy Spirit in our hearts, your word written in our minds and hearts as we move through the week, even when we're not aware of it, the word of God goes forth from our lives in our actions with what we say. Oh, Father, we pray that you would cause us to be salt and light the world around us. But we're not only prophets bringing God's word, your word to Fayette County, but we're priests that bring Fayette County before you. We bow and we pray for each other this morning. You know the need of every family here. We pray that you would meet those needs whether it be sickness, whether it be comfort that's needed, whether it be healing, a physical healing from disease, or whether it be healing of our marriages and troubled spirits. Oh, Father, we bow before you, the great physician. We pray for each other that you would meet these needs. We pray especially, Father, for Ice and Cannon this morning, and his parents, Bobby and Kristen. Our Father, we pray that they won't despair, that they would have that hope that only comes in Christ. We pray that you would bring healing to Isaac, give the doctors wisdom and insight to bring healing. We pray for Greg and Manette this morning as they have been exposed to this disease. COVID-19. We pray that you would keep that disease from them. And if it is there, we pray that you would bring healing to them. We pray for other families in our congregation that are affected. We pray that you would keep us from the disease. Father, we pray that you would take this disease away, just eradicate it. We pray for our missionary in France, for Alan Cochet and his wife. Bless them and their particular needs. We pray that you would use them to raise up pastors in France and Italy. That once again, your word would be preached all through those countries. Our Father, 
as we open your word now, we pray that you would speak to us, each one of us, where we are. John Sartell cannot preach. He can't speak in a way that will change us from the inside, in a way that will powerfully bring your word to our daily lives, and to our minds, to our way of thinking. So we look to you once more, Father, and ask that we would hear your voice in our hearts this morning. Teach us. Move us. We pray that when we leave here in a few minutes, that we will know we've heard your word. In Jesus' name, amen. What happens? When you're living in the very land, God is judging. We need to know the answer to that question as we find ourselves in the midst of a secular culture that is at war with God. Elijah announced God's judgment on the northern kingdom of Israel. Part of the judgment was a severe drought that would last three years. Did you notice that there wasn't? He said, no dew, no rain, and no dew. We walk out in the morning and we see the morning dew. They didn't even have dew in Israel. And with no dew and no rain, there were no crops. And where there was no crops, there was no food. Drought and famine. Elijah and God's people in Israel had a problem. They lived in the very land. They lived in the very land that God was judging with this horrific drought. They had another problem. Ahab and Jezebel were at war with the God of Israel. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In her marriage to Ahab, Jezebel had brought the Canaanite gods of Sidon and Tyre into Israel. Ahab had actually built a great temple to Baal in Samaria, the capital city of the northern kingdom. But then Ahab and Jezebel took another step in this war against the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They instituted a systematic annihilation of the true prophets of God. Elijah and the people of God had a problem. Here they were, living in the very land God was judging with this severe drought. How will we survive the drought? But how would they survive the bloodlust of Jezebel and Ahab? Martin Luther, when I was preparing this message, uh, had to, to think back on Martin Luther. He had a problem, something like Elijah's. In 1521, Luther had been condemned as a heretic by Pope Leo X. He had been excommunicated from the Church of Rome. He was then called before the Diet of Worms. Now, when I first heard, as when I was a little boy and I first heard of the Diet of Worms, I thought Luther was somehow 
put on a food diet, a diet of worms. And I just couldn't, couldn't imagine. Oh. Well, a diet, the word diet can mean the food, specific food that we eat. But the diet with a capital D refers to a governmental deliberative body. The diet of worms, and in, in German, the W is pronounced, it's spelled W-O-R-M-S, but it's pronounced worms. The W is a V. The diet of worms was a governmental deliberative body of the Holy Roman Empire called to hear Luther's defense. It met in the city of worms. He had to appear before the emperor, Charles V, twice. Both times he was urged to recant of these writings, of these declarations, these biblical statements that he had made. Twice he was called to do it. And he stood before the emperor finally, and he said this, unless I'm convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of the popes or councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot, I will not recant anything for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. When he let, he said that and he left the room and he made the statement, he was heard to make the statement, I am finished. That was no exaggeration. The Emperor Charles V, as a result of the Diet of Worms, issued the Edict of Worms, declaring Martin Luther to be an outlaw of the Holy Roman Empire. Luther had been excommunicated from the church. He had been declared a, gov a, a criminal by the government. He could be justifiably killed. He left Worms a condemned man. He was returning to his home in Wittenberg. He never made it to Wittenberg. A noble in the empire, one Frederick the Wise, had Luther kidnapped and taken to his castle, to Frederick the Wise castle in Wartburg. A few days after he disappeared, being kidnapped, this strange man showed up in the castle of Wartburg. He had a full beard. He went by the name Junker Jord, Squire George. This was Martin Luther. For a year, he hid there. He was well fed in the castle. He had all the benefits of the castle. In a strange, strange way, God had provided a hiding place for Luther. That's exactly what we read this morning. God was providing Elijah and God's people a hiding place. This whole passage is about hiding places. So as we begin this morning, I want us to see the strange hiding places and provisions of God's providence. This is so related to where we are right now. I've seen things happen in the last few months in this country that I never dreamed would take place. Are you, are you nervous about where we are?
as a nation? I am. I say that to you. And I think we all should be. And this passage was tremendously comforting to me all week as I worked through this. The strange hiding places and provisions of God's providence. As soon as Elijah announced the drought to Ahab, what happened? As soon, the very next verse, immediately we read, look at it in verse 2. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here, turn eastward, hide yourself by the brook Kerith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. God was making a statement demonstrating his providential care, providing care for Elijah. The brook Kerith was located away from the main cities and towns of Israel. It was across the Jordan. It was an isolated area, a wilderness-type area. It was close to the eastern border. It would, we would say it was out in the boonies. You can drink from the brook Kerith there. Did you read that? You can drink from the brook. And then he said this, and you shall actually be fed there by the ravens. I have commanded the ravens to feed you. They didn't mean that he was going to eat the ravens. The ravens were unclean. Think about that. He was using the unclean wild birds to feed Elijah. That, look at it in verse 6. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. They brought him food in their talons and beaks. You can only say, this is bizarre. I mean, if you just read this and, and you're in science, don't you say, well, of course. Not of course. Has a raven ever brought you food? I mean it. I mean, it, this, is, this was incredible. And this happened day after day, week after week, month after month. God is, you go back in, in, in with Israel when they were in the wilderness. What happened? They, they didn't have food. God provided manna for them and provided quail for them. We don't know where they came from. They just came daily. In the New Testament, Jesus fed 5,000 people once with five loaves and three fish. But this is even more peculiar than that. Wild birds carried him breakfast and dinner every day. Unclean birds. The next step in God's protection and care of Elijah was also strange. When the drought put an end to the brook at Kareth, God sent Elijah on another journey. Verse 8, the word of the Lord came to him, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Now, this is stranger than sending him to an isolated brook in the boonies of Israel. Zarephath, you know where it was? It was outside of Israel. It was a suburb of Sidon, the city side. This was Jezebel's homeland. Her father, Ethbaal, was the king of Sidon. How does God protect his prophet? 
He sends him to the center, to the very center of Baal worship. He sends him to where Ahab would never look, Jezebel's homeland. That's strange. But it's also strange that he sent him to a widow there. Widowhood, most of the time, 99% of the time, widowhood was synonymous with poverty. The widow had lost her support. Her Her husband had died. Widows had no status in that culture. Widowhood was a hard, hard life. And he said to Ahab, even before Ahab went, you go to Zarephath, and there's a widow there. And you can just see Elijah saying, oh, that's great. I'm gone from ravens bringing me food to a poor widow. This is no exaggeration. When Elijah arrived on the scene, when he got to Zarephath, what did he see? This widow that God had commanded to feed him was gathering a few sticks for a fire on which to prepare her last meal. She didn't have any food. This is this was providing for Elijah. Look at verse 12. And she said, As the Lord the God, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little jug, a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. She was preparing her last meal. You've got to look at this. This is better than ravens. She only had dregs in the bottom of a jar of oil, dregs of oil. and She only had the dregs of flour, a couple of tablespoons. But that handful of flour, those two tablespoons of oil, fed the widow, her son, and Elijah for two years. You say, that's unbelievable. The ravens and the widow hiding Elijah in the boonies and then in Jezebel's homeland. That's peculiar. And it's all well and good for Elijah, but But what about the other people of God? What about the other prophets in Israel? What about the other people of God? What about the faithful prophets? Prophets who were also counted as outlaws by Ahab and Jezebel. God provided for them also. And it came from an unexpected source. This is hilarious. There was an official in the court of Ahab named Obadiah. And he was powerful. He was viceroy over the house, over the palace of Ahab. That meant in all matters, he spoke for Ahab. And on behalf of Ahab. Yet look what he did. He represented Ahab. But look what he did when the prophets became wanted men. Look at chapter 18, verse 3. And Ahab called Obadiah who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. Do you understand that? What an irony. 
the protection of the faithful prophets actually came from the palace of Ahab. God fed his prophets from Ahab's table. What an irony. The strange hiding places in provisions of God's providence. But you've also must notice that God's provisions in difficult times often involve complications. During his time at the brook of Kerith, Elijah had to notice that the brook was becoming smaller and smaller and smaller until it, it shrank to a trickle. Look at 1 Kings 17, 7. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. What do we do now, Lord? The brook's dry. Ravens keep coming, but I need water. Remember Israel in the wilderness? After God miraculously and wonderfully delivered them from Egypt, they didn't draw a sword, they didn't throw a spear, and he took them out and destroyed the armies of Egypt. God alone. They got to the wilderness and there was complication after complication. No food, no water, and there was this constant complaining. Well, at Kareth, we don't hear Elijah complain. I think one of the hardest, hardest, hardest lessons to learn is that in all situations, in every situation, every single one of us is dependent on God. Do you know that this one? I hope no matter what your age is, no matter how young you are, no how old you are, my prayer would be that you discover, you discover that in all situations, whether you have great wealth, whether you're in poverty, in all situations, you're completely dependent on God. In hard situations, it's easy. We see ourselves and, you know, Elijah didn't have food. He didn't have anything unless... God, he was just dependent on God to do that. But in situations, and we experience this, when do you pray the most? Do you pray the most when everything is going well, when everything's wonderful, when the sun is shining, everybody's healthy, and you have plenty of money and plenty of everything? That's when we pray less, isn't it? Because we feel less dependent. Why did God, now listen to me, why did God take Israel? Through the wilderness. Why? Deuteronomy chapter 8 is one of the greatest chapters in Scripture. I would commend it to your reading. Read it this week. I read this chapter often because I need to hear it over and over again. When they were about to enter the promised land, here they had been in this tremendous wilderness experience for 40 years, and they were about to go into this great and wonderful, beautiful land, and the condition would change. What did God say to them? Look at Deuteronomy 8, verse 11. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you've eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. Now look at verse 17. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God 
for it is he who gives you the power to get well. When the stream ran out, God once more was reminding Elijah, you're dependent. You're dependent. And where did he send him? He sent him to a poor widow who needed help herself. She was preparing her last meal. And then what happened? You know, the brook had dried up. He goes to Zarephath. He's this poor widow. And then what happened? The widow's son died. That's the next part of the story. The widow's son died. And you can just hear Elijah. What else can happen to me? This widow is taking care of me. You know, we're being fed. And her son dies. Then he actually says, God, you brought this to me. Look at verse 20. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, you have brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son. This is taking care of things. Folks, in any wilderness in which we find ourselves as God's people, there will be provision. And that provision will often be with complications that will continue to remind us that in all things we're dependent on. I've told you this story before, and I'll say it again to you. This had, this had a huge, huge impact upon my life and my ministry. In 1972, the church I had served for three years voted to leave the denomination in which we were. It was called the Southern Presbyterian Church or the Presbyterian Church of the United States. It was the, it was the part of the Presbyterian Church that was located mostly in the South the PCUS, and we voted away out of that denomination because that denomination was leaving the cardinal doctrines of Scripture. It wasn't a social issue. It had to do with the deity of Christ. It had to do with the incarnation. It had to do with Jesus being the Son of God and Savior of sinners. And this was all being denied. And even though a clear majority voted to leave, we had a, a clear majority. The denomination sued us for our property. They wanted to completely stop this effort to form a new denomination. There was a small minority in the church that voted to remain. They were really, really small. But we said to them, until this issue is settled in the courts, we, we just thought the property would be ours. Until it was settled in the courts, we'll let you use the church. We'll go somewhere else. You can use, even though you're just seven or eight people, you can use the church to we thought it would be easy to find a place for us together to worship. The Methodist church had burned down two years before, and the Methodists had been meeting in the local elementary school. That was their place of worship for a year while they were rebuilding. And they had rebuilt the Methodist church, and they had just moved back. And we thought, well, we'll ask the school board, and they'll let us use the elementary school. Well, there's one problem. Everybody on the school board belonged to a liberal Presbyterian church in Tasman. And... Uh, they said, no, you can't use the school building to worship because you're not really a church. I was really upset. I was really mad. We started looking. We couldn't find a place together. We had taken a stand faithful to God's word. We had prayed a year about it. We had taken that stand. We had been faithful. And here God 
moved us out of our little church building, and we couldn't even meet in a school. And then somebody knocked on our door. It was a group of Masons. And they said, we've heard about what happened to you. Now, I wasn't particularly fond of the Masons. They're not a Christian organization, and much of what they say is in contradict scripture. They were to me like the ravens. <laughs> they were like, you know, but they wanted to help. They said, you can meet in our building, in our lodge. We said, where's your lodge? Well, there was a dilapidated town hall. It was actually boarded up, and I mean boarded up. And they met in the upstairs room of this boarded up building. It should have been condemned. I remember walking in there the first time, and I was seeing all this, and I said, we're going to meet here? I was really, really upset. Never will forget the first morning there. I couldn't even pray. I asked one of our elders, his name was Mr. Fletcher. I said, would you pray for us? He was in his 80s. Would you say that pray for us this morning during the morning worship? And I called on him to pray. He got out of his chair and knelt down there in that worship. And the first words out of his mouth, Father, we thank you for this beautiful place to worship. I felt like I was this high. Six months later, I was sitting in Montreat, North Carolina. It was where the records of the denomination were kept. It was a, it was a college, Presbyterian College and conference center. And it's where the records of all the presbyteries were kept. Now, I was reading the history of Cedar Bluff Presbyterian Church, the church I served. It had been started in 1922, 1923 by Dr. Airwood, W.W. Airwood. As I sat reading the original minutes, of the congregational meetings and the session, I started to cry and laugh at the same time. Do you know where they held their first meetings? In the upper room of the town hall. What had become just an awful place became a sweet and beautiful room. It's where the original members. God had brought us back home. I grew you once, I'll grow you again. And he did that. But what's the point? The point is that in these strange hiding places and provisions of God's providence, we've got to notice that God's provisions in difficult times often still involve compromise. Brooks dry up and widow's sons die. But now let's hear the conclusion. What happens? We've got to come here. We're at the end. What happens when God's provision in the midst of judgment takes place in the darkest of places? When, when, when his provision takes us places, like, you know, many Christians ended up one of the heroes of the faith and Ended in, in Germany, ended up and was killed in Hitler's concentration camp. What happens when we when, when Christians end up in the concentration camps or in Stalin's gulag? When all else fails and Christians are facing severe persecution, drought, famine, disease, death, it can be just awful. Maybe it's a physical plague that brings death. 
Maybe it's a concentration camp. Maybe it's death houses where the gas rains down. We still, listen to me, we still have a hiding place. And it's the strangest of all hiding places. The judgment that fell on the northern kingdom of Israel, judgment with a small j. There is a judgment that's coming. We read it, we know it. A great reckoning. A judgment that's with a capital J. And after this, there will be no more judgments. It will be final. We read in Revelations what? That the kings of the earth will call on the mountains to hide them. The caves and mountains to hide them. But it says there'll be no place to hide. Well, there is one place. The worst storm, the storm of all storms, will be the storm of God's final judgment. It'll be far worse than no dew and no rain. The land of this earth, the land of the history of mankind will face a reckoning. Where's the hiding place? Look on your scripture sheet. It's the last verse. Colossians 3, 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What does that mean when you're hidden with Christ in God? It means that the time of the judgment of all judgments, that you can even stand there in this awful storm of the, in the holy of holies, you can stand there and you can say, Who can bring a charge against me? Why can you say that? How can you say that? Because Christ has died. That's the strangest hiding place of all. The cross of Jesus Christ. There's not a safer place to be in all the world. Jesus stood the storm of God's judgment in your place, in my place. That's our hiding place. Our hymn.